Good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you here. Hey, we are completing a series we began just a couple of weeks ago, a series about being truly free. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to take them and turn with me to the book of James, the first chapter. Um, and uh, if you don't know where James is, towards the end of the Bible, um, go back. Uh, and if you get to Hebrews coming from the back, you've gone too far. Okay, it's right after Hebrews. So uh, James chapter 1, we'll start there in a moment. I also want to remind you that next week we will begin a brand new series on what is probably the most asked question, according to George Barna, who is a part of a, um, a, posting, uh, a polling group uh, for Christian beliefs, uh, the most asked question from Christians and, other, and non-believers is, what about the end times? Let's talk about that. So we're going to talk about it for the next three weeks. We're going to talk about the end times. So for those of you who know nothing about the end times, let me just tell you something right up front. It's not anything to be scared of, okay? All of the books of the Bible that people sometimes get scared of are actually written to encourage you. Because what it's trying to convey is, is that God is in control, he will always be in control, and he will always win. And so end times really looks at the promises of God telling us about what is going to come. Um, if you are someone who just loves end times and prophecies and everything, I'm just telling you, this is kind of a, um, this is going to be, because I know how many folks are in the room and the different aspects, this is kind of an end times 101, okay? We're going to go deep. But we're not going to go so deep. So some of you are probably going to be like, oh, I wonder if he's going to talk about certain things. So just so you know, we're not diving so deep as to figure out red heifers and great whores in <laughs> Revelation 18 or anything like that, okay? This is talking about some basic things. So next week, we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. What is it? What does it mean? What is it about? The following week, we're going to talk about what are the signs of the end times and sort of the sequence and order of things that are going to happen. And then the final week, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the rapture or the catching away of the saints of God as his wrath is being poured out at the end times. So what I want you to do is come, bring a notebook, bring your phone, take some notes or whatever, um, download the app. It'll have notes on it as well. Um, bring someone with you and come ready to learn because we're going to study together. I've studied this for, you know, as, as a minister for almost 25 years as a minister. And every time, including now, I'm learning more and more and more and more and more. So I want you to come and be encouraged, okay? This is not something that you need to be afraid of. It is something you should long for. Even the book of Revelation at the very end of it, when the apostle John is writing it, he ends it by saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I hope that as we look at this, you will be praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We can't wait to be with you in power and authority and glory forever. Amen? If you believe that, give the Lord praise in this place. Amen? So the main scripture we've been looking at is where Jesus tells um, the crowd of people around him and his disciples in John chapter 8, verse 36. He says, if the Son sets you free then you are truly free. So that if you've been set free by Jesus, you are truly free. So today I want to take you to the book of James. And the reason I want to take you to the book of James is because the first two weeks have been talking about how we've been declared free. So that if you're in bondage, if you're in a prison cell, you have no ability to set yourself free. But someone with authority has to come and declare you to be free before that door is ever opened up. And Jesus, because who he is and what he's done, has the authority to declare you free because of the price that he paid on the cross and the way that he overcame the grave. At the same time, you've been declared free, but you've also been set free by not only his declaration and his power, but by your choices. 
So he comes to the door and he opens the door to freedom, but you have to take steps and walk out. You have to understand that the things that you believe in your mind and take in your heart affect the choices and the steps that you take in your life. Today, I want to talk to you about how to live free. In other words, the door's been opened. You've taken the steps out. I want to talk to you about how do you not walk back into that same prison you've walked out of? How do you stay free and clear of the bondage that Jesus has set you free from? James chapter 1, he talks about two things. He talks about troubles and he talks about temptation. And here's what he's talking about. In troubles, what he, he understands in troubles is this, is that the enemy of your soul, the devil, he wants to, in trouble during difficult times with crisis, he wants to drive you away from God. Because in these moments of crisis moments, you either lean into God or you pull away from God. So he speaks about that at the very beginning of this. And then he talks about temptation, how that this is the subtle aspect where it's not a sudden thing that happens. He's not trying to drive you away from God. He's trying to draw you away from God and entice you away from the Lord in a slow, methodical way. And James says you don't have to live in fear of either of those. So in James chapter 1, here's what he says. This letter is from James, a slave of God. That slave means he's a willing bond servant. So he's been set free, but he's declared his allegiance to Jesus Christ for the rest of his life and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed about by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. What he's saying is this. All that you accomplish and achieve in this world, those achievements will fade away eventually. And then he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Would you read that with me? God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God has never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights of heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Here's what I want to talk to you about, how to live free. I want to talk to you about 
how to deal with temptation, how to rise above temptation, and how to stay free from the things Jesus has set you free from. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for the privilege to be able to open up your word. I pray that as we open up your word, you would allow us to open up our hearts to receive your word. Anoint the word that you've given me to say as it goes forth. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So here's what I want you to know this morning, okay? I know what time it is. I know the Lord's moved in our services, and I know the Lord has met needs at the altars. We had extended worship time, extended prayer time. Um, Here's what I promise you I'm going to do. I'm going to just take the scripture as it has here. I'm going to take what God, um, I've prepared things to say, but I'm going to preach until I believe God tells me just stop preaching, okay? So I don't know if you're clapping because I said I was going to listen to God or because I'm going to stop preaching. But whatever the case... Here's what I want you to know. A couple of things I need you to know about temptation is this, that James wants us to know, is that temptation to sin is not from God. God will never tempt you to sin. There may be times you'll go through testing. There'll be trials and there'll be difficulties in your life, but God will never tempt you to sin. That's why verse 13 says, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempting me to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. So here's what I need you to know about temptation. Everyone has temptation. Everyone, even the most holy, righteous person you can think of in your life, in this room right now, I promise you they're tempted by something. Now, here is something you need to know. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Acting on the temptation, that is the sinful act. So if you are being tempted, all that means is you're human. Okay? That doesn't mean you're in a sinful state. So, Temptation comes to all of us. There's another thing you need to know too. Every one of us are predisposed to certain types of sins in our lives and temptations in our lives. We are predisposed to that. There are some things that are very attractive to you that are not attractive to someone else. There are some things that are very alluring to you or enticing to you that are not enticing to someone else. And things that are enticing to them, they they concern you not at all. So you can't compare yourself with other people. When you struggle in one area or attempt in one area, and you see someone else, they never struggle in that area. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily more spiritually mature. That means they're predisposed in some other way. But... Just because you're predisposed to certain temptations does not mean you are predestined to sin. As a matter of fact, God has preordained you because of Jesus Christ to live as a victor and an overcomer. And the natural state of a victor or overcomer is you're always in a battle. Think about that. Everybody wants to be an overcomer, but nobody wants to have anything to overcome, right? Everybody wants a testimony, but nobody wants a test. This is a battle we're living in. It's a battle that we're facing. It is a battle that God is equipping us to live holy and righteous for him. You are not tempted by God. So where do temptations come from? Well, James tells us that our temptation to sin comes from our own evil desires or the word that is translated desire there is actually the word lust. We don't use it a lot anymore because we have we've sort of narrowed and and, and pigeonholed this definition of lust as to only dealing with sexual sin. Lust is a desiring, um, it is an unhealthy desire for something. 
Okay, it doesn't have to just do with sexual desires in this. James chapter uh, verse 14 and 15, he says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Then these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So notice what it says. Our desires, our old nature, trying to rise up again in us, then begins to entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And then when, so there's a point here. You can stop it before it becomes a sinful action. But then there's another dividing line. A sinful action, then if it is allowed to continually grow, therefore it begins to lead to death, spiritual death, physical death in our lives. So here's the thing. You've got an enticement of your old nature. If you give in to that with sinful acts, there's still a moment where you can go back to the Lord, you can ask for forgiveness, and you can get reestablished in the way that he's created you to be. But if you don't and you allow it to grow, that's when those things begin to take root in your life and it becomes something that puts you in bondage. You have choices you can make. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life and you have the things of God through his holy word that allow you to defend against the attacks of the enemy and to live holy and righteous before the Lord. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 tells us, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Your translation may say it like this, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are the three big categories where temptation comes against you and me. And can I tell you this? The same way they came against Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that you and I are, and yet he was without sin because he had the power of the Holy Spirit living in his life. The same power that raised him from the dead raises you to new life. The same power that allowed him to walk out of the grave allows you to walk out of your old bondage. And the same power that allowed him to ascend into the Father allows you to elevate your life to levels that God has created you to live on through the power of the Holy Spirit. And do you know how Jesus, when he lived on this earth, do you know how he dealt with temptation? He dealt with it with the word of God. The Bible tells us that after he is baptized by John the Baptist, immediately following that, in this beautiful moment where the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and and lands on him, and the Bible says that God speaks through the clouds and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, he is led into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the enemy. He has to overcome the things that we are going to face so that he can become the victor that we need. The Bible tells us that he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, it just simply says, the Bible says, and he was hungry. That that seems so inadequate. 40 days, 40 nights. He is physically depleted. And the enemy comes against him. And he tempts him in three different ways. And I want you to notice quickly, I'm not going to take the time to explain all of it. I just want you to notice how Jesus responds. First of all, there's lust of the flesh. This is about sensual desires. This is about pleasure. These are about things that you want that bring you pleasure in your life. In Matthew chapter four, verses three and four, it says, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, 
No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's saying, I know you're hungry. I know these things. I know you have a desire for this. I know this bread would be pleasing to you. He said, you can do this. Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus said, no, that's not what the word of God says. And he begins to quote scripture. He's tempted next with the lust of the eye. Lust of the eye is about coveting. This is about wanting what is yours or not yet yours. So this is something that doesn't belong to you or that the Lord may have promised to you, but you're trying to get it ahead of time. Here's what he says. The devil took him up to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scripture say, notice this, now the devil says, oh, I'll bring scripture. If you want to depend on scripture, let's talk about scripture. The scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. What he's saying is this, I know you're the son of God. I know God is gonna announce it to everyone, but right here, right now, we'll go to the pinnacle of the temple, the place where announcements are made, where the trumpet is blown and everyone will make the declarations. Let's go there right now. Let's do it right now. Because scripture says that, the, that God will not allow you to be harmed. And he says, but this is what the scripture really says. He says, you're misapplying scripture. Let me tell you what the word says. And he fends off the attack of the enemy. One final time, the devil comes to him and he tempts him with the pride of life. This is about power and about status. In verses eight through 10, it says, next the devil took him up to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He says, I know you're the son of God. I know people are going to bow before you. I'll give it to you right now if you just kneel and worship me. But Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord and him alone. Over and over and over and over again, he uses the word of God to defend himself against the temptation of the enemy. I want you to hear me this morning. You need the word of God in your life so that you can defend yourself against the attacks of the enemy. He will come at you. He will try to confuse you. He will try to convince you. He will try to draw you away. He'll try to make sin look more more, uh, alluring than it actually is. He'll try to um, minimize the, um, the pain of it, and he'll try to maximize the thrill of it. He'll try to confuse you all the way. But if you'll rely on the word of God... God can see you through. Listen to me. This is why you read the word of God. This is why David said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's an imperfect man, a man who sinned against God. But he said, in this is the way I live my life. Even though I'm not a man of perfection, I hide the word in my heart. Can I just tell you something? You need to have the word of God in your heart. And you say, I don't know a bunch of scripture. Get yourself three to five scriptures of promises in your life and memorize those things. Carry them in your wallet. Carry them on your person. Carry them with you so that you can declare the promises and the word of God over your life. Because here's what happens. In the same way that Jesus did this, verse 11 says this, and then the devil went away.
Some of you are playing fire with God. You allow yourself to be tempted. And you want to get just as close to the line as you possibly can without crossing the line. There are three examples from the life of David I want to share with you. One is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. It's when he is in a place that he's not supposed to be. The Bible says that at a time when kings go to war, David was in his palace on the roof and he looked out and he saw a woman, a married woman. And as he saw her bathing, he sent for her, as every king in the world would do, as all the kings that surrounded him would do. This is what a worldly king would do. I want that. I'm going to declare it. Bring her to me. I'll get what I want. But that's not how godly kings were supposed to act. That's not how the servant of God was supposed to act. David brings her to him. David then entices her, sleeps with her, and at the same time impregnates her. When he finds out that she's pregnant, he sends for her husband who is off to war where David was supposed to be. Brings him back entices him with strong drink and alcohol, gets him drunk and sends him home, hoping that he will sleep with his wife so that when she, he discovers that she's pregnant, he'll think that the child is his. He refuses to. David then sends him back to the front line with orders to the commander to send him up to the front line, make an attack, pull back so that he's killed in battle. Adultery, murder. He fails miserably in this moment, in this temptation of lust of the flesh. At the end of his life, he fails miserably with the pride of life. He calls his commander to him and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go and count all of the men that are old enough to fight in this battle. Fight in an army. And the commander said, don't do this. And it's essentially, you know the Lord has called us to live by faith. When an attack comes against us, the Lord has always provided. You see, he wanted to compare the size of his army with the size of the armies of the other kingdoms of the world, the pride of life, the status that he had. And he says, don't do this. And he commands him to go and do it anyway. It cost him. It cost him not only something, it also cost the people something as God's wrath was poured out. He fails that one. But then he passes in the lust of the eye, the wanting what's not his or what is not his now. See, when he was a teenager, God anointed him to be king of Israel. But there was a time where he ran from the king. There's, because there's a difference in the timing between anointing and appointing. He may anoint you for something, but the timing's not right. And when the timing is right, God will put you into the right place at the right time. But too many people try to open the door faster than God wants them to go through the door. But in this moment in time, David is running from Saul with his army. He's hiding in a cave in an area called the Engedi. And Saul and his men come in this area. Saul goes in that cave. And I don't have a good way to tell you this. He goes into the cave to relieve himself is what the Bible says. As he's doing so, David sneaks up behind him, could kill him if he wanted to. Because Saul is seeking to take his life. But instead cuts the corner off of the robe, of the kingly robe. And then as Saul exit calls down to him and says, I'm not against you. I'm not against you. Could have killed you. 
He passes the test because he tells his people, you do not touch the Lord's anointing. What he's saying is this, that's God's man for this time. And I know I'm God's man for a time. And God will put me there when he wants me there. Now, here's what I want you, these real world examples, something I want you to see. What I notice is this in the life of David. When he becomes susceptible to sin is when he's bored at a time when kings were supposed to be at war doing the things they were supposed to do, he's at home. Or at the end of his life when he's frail and he's weak, he's sick and he's tired. You are at your most susceptible when you are bored and when you are tired. You need to put your mind and allow your spirit to be on high alert during those time periods because that's when the enemy wants to come against you. When he was strong was when he was living in the purposes of God and doing the will of God. Do you know what the greatest factor is in winning against temptation? Your proximity to God. You know, we celebrated water baptism this morning. And in water baptism, as we celebrate, what we celebrate is this declaration that I belong to him and I've been raised a new life. I love that because it symbolizes the closeness of the relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you something? The closer you are to Jesus, the less alluring sin looks. And I've never met anyone who told me, man, I was living my life exactly the way that I was supposed to live. I was spending time daily with God. I was reading his word. I was spending time with his people. I was doing what he said. I was really drawing close to him. And the next moment, bam, I don't know what happened. I just royally messed up in sin. I've never met anybody who said that. What I have heard time and time and time and time again is this. I didn't read his word quite as much. I stopped spending as much time with him in daily prayer. I stopped drawing near to him so he could draw near to me. I pulled away from God's people along the way. And then suddenly I find myself in a place where this sin that didn't look appealing at all is now trying to entice me. This line of demarcation that was so apparent to me for over there has now been grayed out and is not clear anymore, and they find themselves taking that step. Can I just tell you something? Satan tries to draw you away from God so that he can entice you with sin. but you control your steps. Can I tell you something? If you will continually lean in to the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have to worry about that stuff over there. You don't have to worry about colossal failures in your life because the Holy Spirit empowers us to live holy. I'm not telling you you're gonna be perfect. I'm not telling you you're not going to make a mistake. I'm not telling you you're not going to have to say I'm sorry in a relationship. What I'm telling you is this. You don't have to live in fear that your whole life is going to fall apart because of sin. Because when you're here, you're living in freedom. And there's no way bondage can get to you when you're living in the freedom of Christ. And that's my prayer for you today.
Some of you, some of you need to walk back into the arms of Jesus Christ today. Stop playing games with him. Some of you have been like the children of Israel and you have been set free from the bondage of Egypt, but you are walking around in circles dealing with the same temptations for years and years and years and years. And it's time for you to lean into the presence of God, cross over into the promised land he's called you to live in and live free. Because if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. And I don't know about you, but I want to have freedom in my life from the ways of my past and from the things that try to entice me. I want to be free in the power and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's God's plan for your life as well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? If you're here this morning, and I'm not going to try to convince you, but the Holy Spirit is convicting and convincing you right now, you know things aren't right between the Lord, but he's drawing you back. You simply need to pray something like this. There's nothing magical about it. Just pray in your heart and mean something like this in your heart. Jesus, I thank you that you are the son of God. I thank you that because of the cross, you've forgiven my past. And I thank you because of the resurrection, you have set me free, that I can live free and holy. I ask you to forgive me of my sinful ways. And I pray as I yield my life to you, to your lordship and your leadership, to your word and your spirit, that not only would I be set free, but I will live free. God, I pray that the word begin to saturate within me, that as I read the word, it would take root in my heart. I pray that as I live the word, O Lord, that I can walk in power and strength. But from this day forward, I will never be the same. Now, would everyone just pray this prayer profession with me? Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around, not here to embarrass you. I do want to pray for you. If that's you, I'd like for you to be bold enough just to raise your hand really high and say, that's me. I want to, uh, God bless you. God bless you. Oh, you're not alone. Oh, God bless you. Amen. 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 Freedom. Freedom's coming in this place right now. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I've accepted Jesus but man, I have been dealing with the same temptation for so long. I am just ready to be free. No one's looking around, but if that's you, would you be bold enough to raise your hand really high? Oh, you're not alone. There are people all in this room. Come on, the Lord's about to set you free today. Come on, come on. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you that we have chosen to be free I thank you that your word sets us free, that your grace is enough. I thank you today that the Holy Spirit, through the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, speaking to hearts, calling us home, but also speaking to hearts, telling us we don't have to live that way any longer. We don't have to live in this cycle of despair, this cycle of of, um, sin and temptation. Lord, we can live free of those things. I pray in the name of Jesus 
that, Lord, you would just begin to touch these lives, that the Spirit of God would just take root in them, that the Word of God, O oh Lord, would take root in them. I pray you bring to our remembrance, O oh Lord, the words that you've given to us in your holy scriptures. I pray, O oh Lord, that as we are tempted by this, those things that we've been tempted in the past, I pray, pray that we lean into the grace of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that we draw near to you so you'll draw near to us. And I pray as we become so close to you, the, the um, enticement and the allurement of the sin that used and the temptation that used to entice us would, would cease in the name of Jesus. I pray for freedom. Freedom today, oh God. And you said in your word, if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. Lord, I speak against the enemy of our soul today because in the morning he's going to come to these folks in their mind. He's going to try to convince them that nothing has changed. And we stand boldly today on the word of God that we have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ and freed by the power of the resurrection. And so, Lord, we stand in that, we walk in that, we live in that, and we long for the day we see you face to face. But until then, Lord, we have become free from our bondage, and we walk freedom, freely in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his wonderful name. We believe, we receive, and we pray these things. Amen and amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, I need you to celebrate with me. 18 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Come on. Come on. Come on. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, if you made that decision this week or any of the previous weeks, we'd love to help you get started in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, some of our grow team will be down in front at the end of the service. Come talk to them. They'd love to help you and give you some uh, different avenues you can uh, take. Also, if you're just new to the church and want to find out more about North and how to get it plugged in, uh, you can come talk to our grow team members as well. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. And before you're dismissed, I want to remind you next week, we're going to talk about the end times. Bring a notebook, bring something to take notes with, bring a friend, and come to be encouraged by the Lord. Amen. Before you leave, I want to bless you according to Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day.